Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. Hello. Hey. I don't think that one was half bad. No, I don't think so either. I was trying to go based on your mouth moving instead of how I can hear it because it's slightly lagged. Let's blame it on Zoom. Who is this lag you're talking about? I don't know. Can you hear me okay? Or is my mic too far? No, I can hear you great. Did you not sound check before this, Katie? Mm. I'm completely kidding. No, I did a little bit. Like, I look at my audacity, make sure I'm not, (laughs) like, way over the red. But that's about it. That's fair. (laughs) I was just kidding. I did not sound check. You saw me. Hooking up as we were on Zoom. You were so flustered. I was flustered today. That's okay, though. Happy June 1st, everybody. It's it's Sunday for us, but it's June 1st when this goes up. And there's a lot, ha- there's a lot happening this month. It's a big month. Sure is. We'll get into one of the big initiatives. Mm-hmm. Did you want to mention the other one and explain how we're doing this month? Yeah, so it's June 1st today. June is Pride Month, as many people know. June in Canada is also National Indigenous Peoples History Month. This just happens to coincide with a few days ago. There was 215 children's bodies found at the formerly known Kamloops Indian Residential School. There are children's bodies here found as young as three years old. And so we're going to take this month, I think, together to educate ourselves, re-educate ourselves offline. Um, But we will be sharing, I'm going to share a lot of resources on Instagram this month as well. I think it's really important as allies, we are responsible for reconciliation. Um, This is our job. And so um, there's lots to be shared and lots to be talked about. And our last episode this month on June 29th, I believe it is, we're going to do a collaborative episode and we are going to talk to you guys or kind of like an educational episode about the history of residential schools in Canada. Um, It needs to be done. I always wanted to do it. I just didn't think that we would do it so soon, but the timing feels right. So that's going to be taking place then. But for the rest of the month, you're going to get four episodes uh, related to the LGBTQ plus community. Definitely. Yeah, this is our time to sit back and learn and mm-hmm. not be speaking and just take everything in and be there in support. Um, of who needs us Mm. so that's what we're doing and we are going to like olivia said educate ourselves yeah so i'll share as much as i can resource wise on like what you can do if you like i I know i have tons of video resources i can share books articles conversations with survivors there's no shortage it's just about knowing where to look so I'm going to share tons of that on Instagram if you want to follow us at Podcast by Proxy. There's going to be a lot of good stuff happening this month. Definitely. I'm very interested to see because I know last year um, Dan Levy did like a really big initiative to educate yourself Mm. um, as as he was. So he wanted people to learn along with him and take an Aboriginal Studies or Indigenous Studies course of some kind. Um, And I'm just eager to see if it happens again this year because that would be really amazing. 
And I encourage everybody to do that. Take this month and learn something. And you don't have to take an entire week. You don't have to do deep dives like we do. That's what we're here for. Maybe listening to our episode on the 29th will be your one hour of education. But do something. Um, That's what the month is for. The official Indigenous Peoples Day in Canada is on the 21st of this month. Let's take some accountability. You know? Yes, I agree. 100%. Like you said, it's our responsibility to do it Mm -hmm. as human beings. We all share this space. We got to respect each other. So we got to learn a little bit about each other. We all got to do our part. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Katie, you are starting off Pride Month for us with with our first case. I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) I don't know either. It just seemed like you had it going. So I waited. I never do. feel you just lost it. Yeah, I never really do. This was actually one of the cases that really got me into true crime as well. Oh. I love this case in like a very sad way. Mm -hmm. Like it just hit that part in my stomach and my heart and my head all at the same time. And it just, oh, uh, yeah. So it just felt right to do this. And for anyone who has listened to some cases in relation to the LGBTQ community, this is one that you'll frequently hear brought up. Um, It started a lot of conversations Mm -hmm. and brought a lot of awareness. So today we are going to do the story of Matthew Shepard. So I've heard a ton of stuff about this case in researching other things, but I I don't know that I've actually heard it in its entirety. It's terrible, but important. Yeah. So I think that's the best way to put it. I feel like it's it's a good way to start this month. This month is all about education, awareness, talking about the hard stuff that we don't like talking about because it's uncomfortable because we have to talk about it. When I think that kind of shocks people into turning to someone and saying, oh my gosh, did you know? Mm -hmm. Or, oh my goodness. And that's how conversations get started. So even though it may seem like a shock and awe moment, it can create productive conversations still. Mm -hmm. It was like your throat was in my ear. I know. I was trying so hard to gulp <laughs> off, like away from the mic, but my gulp. It's too hard. I'm such a loud drinker. Is anyone else a loud drinker? Hands up. You're just like a loud, just like person. <laughs> <laughs> she called me out, folks. She's not wrong. I mean, so am I. She is not wrong. I am a loud person. I can't help it. I've tried. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to start this because I feel like there's going to be a decent amount of discussion through this one, although it's not going to be as bantery and funny. Yeah, yeah. I think there'll be a lot of conversation, so let's dive in. Okay. Let's jump in. Let's do it. Yeah. So December 1st, 1976, parents Judy and Dennis Shepard welcomed their baby boy, Matthew, to the world. He was the light of their life. A couple years later, in 1981, Matthew became a big brother. Him and his little brother were just two peas in a pod. They were best friends growing up. Cuties. He grew up Episcopalian and he served as an altar boy. He attended the Crest Hill Elementary School, Dean Morgan Junior High, and Notrana County High School. He was super approachable, likable, friendly, for all by all accounts, mm-hmm. throughout his entire life. Although he was continually picked on because his entire life he was very tiny, very lean, and he wasn't very tall either. Um, even as a young adult, he was like five foot two and like just over a hundred pounds. 
so he was very small. Can I just ask that we stop picking on people for things that are out of their control, like height? (laughs) Yeah. It's just, I know that it's quote-unquote normal because we all grew up with it in school, but, like, hearing that, he was picked on because he was small. Like, we can't control this. Nope. If someone wears an ugly shirt, you still should not make fun of them, but that's a choice they made. Yeah, you still shouldn't do it, but, like, they still, they made that choice. You don't have a choice over how tall you are. Yeah, like, you don't get up in the morning and go, like, hmm, I think I'm gonna be 5'5 five five today. Right? I don't know. Anyway, sorry. I just, I'm feeling, like, spicy today, and you're gonna get a lot of comments from me, I think. <laughs> Actually, before this gets really sad, I have a quick anecdote. I was just watching Top Gear while I was eating pizza before this. I love that. And... Right? It was one of the new episodes, and they had a guy on there that had a jetpack, like a real jetpack. It was a thousand horsepower, and he like raced a car mm-hmm. on a track as the bird flies, and the car went up the like shoo 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 track. Yeah. Choo 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 choo. Well, you know what I mean. A little I ziggy, a little zaggy. Oh, I know. I know the name of it. I just can't think of it right now. Slalom? Slalom? No, when it like, goes back and forth. Yeah, like, you know, when skiing and stuff, when the course okay, goes yeah. back and forth like that, that's sure. the name. Anyway, this thing was so fucking cool. He was like real life Iron Man. I love that for you. Ugh. I stopped watching Top Gear after they got rid of, like, the main three guys. Fair. This is one, like, it was just a one-off that I put it on. Although, they have three guys on it now uh-huh. that are actually pretty funny together. So, I think now that they've been together a bit, it might be worthwhile again. Because they've, like, built that rapport. Is it... Are you watching Top Gear US? Or are you watching the English one? The English one. Okay, yeah. Because I always used to watch the one with, like, Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond. So did I, yeah. And then, like, whenever that ended, I just kind of stopped watching it. Because I thought they were funny. Same. Oh, those guys were hilarious. Do you think I'd like the new one then? Okay, maybe I'll give it a go. Maybe I'll give it a go. This episode was about, like, classic Bond cars is how it started. And then that was, like, the funny thing at the end. But the Bond car part was amazing. It was so cool. I mean, that that type of show is my jam. I just, I think I was really butthurt when I lost the main guys. Random fact about both of us. We love cars. (laughs) Anywho. Yes. Again. Grew up fairly normal, um, although in 1994, his dad got a job at Saudi Aramco, and their family moved to <laughs> Darren, of all places. So they lived in a residential camp there. The kids ended up going to Switzerland for to school. Why Switzerland? I never knew why. Um, but dumb, I'm assuming... Dumb, 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 side note question. Where's Darren? Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why it's called Saudi Aramco. Okay, okay. The company? No, not a dumb question, because I then read that they went to Switzerland for school, and I was, but if they're in Saudi Arabia, why are they going to school in Switzerland? It just felt weird, but I looked in two different places. It said the same thing. So they went to Tass's school, and Matthew ended up graduating from there in May of 1995. He was an active participant in theater. He learned German and Italian. And it was around this time that he actually developed severe depression and anxiety attacks, according to friends and family at the time. Because while he was at Tassis, he went on a school trip to Morocco. And when he was on the school trip, he was beaten and raped. He obviously came home traumatized. 
his mom observed him just going downhill. He was a shell of himself. He started using drugs. Um, he ended up ultimately getting hospitalized more than once because he had suicidal ideations. He was depressed all the time and just no one could really help him. Oh my goodness. That's so sad. Yeah. And- yeah, when his, his dad said before all this happened, he said, quote, he was an optimistic and accepting young man who had a special gift of relating to almost anyone. He was a type of person who was very approachable, always looked for new challenges, and he had a great passion for equality and always stood up for acceptance of people's differences. Oh, I know. He sounds lovely. But also, he sounds like he was having a really hard time inside. He was, but it seems like no matter what happened, his friends and family said they were all surprised at how well he still came back. Regardless of, even though he wasn't doing well, he was still this great human being. He was just kind of hollow at the time, which was so sad. So Matthew returns to the U.S., he decides to go to college here because as a youngin, he was obsessed with political science and politics. Oh, we do not have that in common. No. That was my no. that was my least favorite. I hated that I had to take poli-sci in university. I only took the mandatory courses and I snoozed through both of them. I have to ask my mom about them because I think she had to take a whole bunch. Ugh. If you love poli-sci, like, bless you because I had such a hard time. Oh, yeah, that sounds like my nightmare. I think the thing with political science is that there's never a right answer. And that's not my favorite thing ever. I am a very, it's the like... political answer? I can be, I'm, it can be kind of black and white, and I like facts. I have a really hard time with political science because there isn't one. It's, like, very much just up for debate and interpretation. I love a good challenge, and I'm up for, like, a good like coloring outside the lines, but I like rules. I like guidelines. I like knowing Mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing, especially when it comes to like my job. I just want to know what I'm supposed to be doing and I'll fucking do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good for him though, because I feel like it takes a really special kind of person to thrive in that environment. He may have still been self-medicating at the time though, quite heavily. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what the severity of that was. Right. Okay. So he came back to the U.S. He's studying political science at uh, Catawba College in North Carolina. And then he moves to Casper College in Wyoming. We're now up to October of 1998. Matthew is now 21 years old. He is a active gay awareness team member at his university. He's in his first year of his political science major. And he's taking a minor in languages. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with the German and Italian makes sense. Yeah. For sure. Doing both those through the University of Wyoming and Laramie. This is when the shitstorm starts. Oh, boy. Yeah. So brace yourself, folks. Make sure your drinks are handy and uh, your seatbelts are fastened for turbulence. And uh, please keep all your hands and feet inside the ride. And off. (laughs) That was all the ones I could think of. Yeah, that was weird. (laughs) I told you I'm in a weird mood. That's okay. I was lying. I just keep getting like, I don't know, like out of breath when I'm talking. Are you getting emotional? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Pause for cry break, please. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Because the first time I heard this case, I was uber emotional. Yeah, fair. He had such a hard time growing up still. 
even just from moving to different schools and stuff, and then what he experienced in Morocco on that school trip. So, like, to come back and be really building a life again and, like, a community around him, he was just doing so well. Right. Okay. Well, let's let's do it. We're going to... Yeah. Uh, October 6th, 1998. Police are called because there is a fight downtown between t- four men, two of which are Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson. The other two are 19-year-old Emiliano Morales and 18-year-old Jeremy Herrera, both of Hispanic heritage. They were bored and they were just out slashing tires, those two, when they ran into McKinney and Henderson and got in the fight. What the shits? As one does when you're bored. God, if I came out my tires were slashed, I'd be pissed. Yeah, if you're listening to this, don't do that. No, that sounds like a very greasers kind of move. It doesn't really seem like a kids of the 2000s. (laughs) Now they're just going to put something about you on social media and ruin your life. (laughs) Fuck your car tires. (laughs) Eh, True. Henderson grew up living with his grandparents. He was very smart. And until everything kind of went downhill in high school, he started experimenting with drugs as one does. Cue your local high school drug dealer, McKinney who, oddly enough, is also quite short. He only stood five foot seven for a man. So, like, I don't know if this city is just quite short men, but McKinney grew up in a house full of conflict, apparently by all accounts and neighborhood. It was quite a scary home, Mm. and people felt bad for the kids that lived there. His parents ultimately divorced, and his mom remarried. So things were looking up until unexpectedly his mom died during surgery when he was only 16. Tough life doesn't by any means excuse what he's going to do. No, it doesn't. Tough, tough life. Yeah. Especially for a 16-year-old boy. Like, your mom goes in for heart surgery and never comes out. That would be devastating at any age. He's awarded $100,000 in a wrongful death suit, and he wanted to blow all the money on cars and parties. And that he did because he would buy a car, wreck it, buy a car, wreck it. So I assume he was just buying these GP cars, but over and over and over again. Oh, boy. These guys were just crazy. Officer Flint Walters. Also, how cool is the name Flint? Like, for a fire? I kind of like it. I like it. Yeah. Anyway. He arrives on scene and he arrests Henderson. This is when, while searching McKinney's truck, he finds a bloody 357 Magnum. It appears that there would be too much blood on it for the fight that just took place, so that kind of raises eyebrows. However, it's some of it's dry. It looks like it could be wet, but they're not quite sure. So they take note of it and keep an eye on it and just see how the night's events unfold and see if it's relevant again for any reason. Okay, I'm stressed. Yeah, so a pair of each of these guys walks away with a cut on their head, which is McKinney and Morales. Whatever, one of each of you guys got fucked up. Walk away and shut up. Just whatever. You guys are assholes. Yeah. In the truck, they also find a pair of shoes, a credit card that did not belong to the men being detained. The guys were ultimately released later on because it was a street fight. Cops were like, it was nothing. They fought. Sure. We let them go. Yeah. So McKinney heads to the hospital. He gets the cut on his head stitched up. The morning of October 7th, 1998, police are called by Aaron Kreefels, a cyclist that was out on their morning ride and came across what they thought was a scarecrow. Uh, okay, yeah. so it, well, okay. it's not a scarecrow yeah. either, guys. 
No. It's never a scarecrow and it's not a mannequin. You know, he he called. That's okay. I'm just stressed. I know. We're just stress ranting because we feel like we know it's coming. Well, I do know it's coming. You feel like you know it's coming. He thought it was and a you're scarecrow. Right. I'm not mad about it. It's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Come to find out as he approaches it, it is Matthew Shepard. He is badly beaten, tied to a barbed wire fence, and clinging to life. Because the temperature in Wyoming at this time of year does drop so low, because it is October, Matthew was hypothermic, or on the verge of, Mm -hmm. and he was in a coma by this point. Yeah, Reggie Floody was the first officer on scene, and she immediately, like, rushed over to him, like, didn't even think about what was going on around her, and just scooped the blood out of his mouth to try to preserve his life. She didn't even have gloves on. She just, like, scooped all the blood out and tried to clear his airway as quickly as she could before getting him off the fence because she knew that was priority number one. And she could just sense that there was very little time on her side. So, after Matthew was removed from this horrific scene that these monsters left him in, they rush him to Ivinson Memorial Hospital in Laramie, and he was later rushed to the Advanced Trauma Center at Poudre Valley Hospital in Fort Collins. His parents are still in Saudi. Mm-hmm. They get this call and they get on like a plane immediately. Yeah. So they rush home. They get to the hospital. He's still alive, but they come to find out and learn that he suffered fractures to the back of his head and to the front of his head above his right ear. He had severe brainstem damage, which affected his ability to regulate his heart rate and body temperature, as well as his vital functions. So that, combined with the hypothermia as well, would have been why he went into a coma. His body wasn't able to even try to regulate it up to heat, so hypothermia likely could have taken advantage of his body quicker as well. On top of that, he had dozens of small lacerations around his face, neck, and head. His other injuries were deemed too severe for doctors to operate. Um, They just found that everything in conjunction, he wouldn't survive surgery. So they had to wait to see if he could get stronger on his own with medication in a coma. And then they could operate. Doctors made it very apparent that he likely was not going to survive based on the damage. So yeah, The absolute shit beat out of him. Tied to a fence. And left to die. Yeah, and his mom said that if officers hadn't brought her into the room and told her that was her son, she would have not known. He was that beat up and that swollen, especially because he is still alive. There is still blood in his body pumping around, so he is swelling as well. And he's also been in one position for 18 hours at this point because he was just left on that fence. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's just terrible. I think we can all collectively as a whole right now go, ugh. That one yeah. that one's hard. This case for some reason, it just it just gets to me. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. It's just one of those ones. Word quickly gets out around the local campuses because the gay advocacy groups that are on campus quickly spread word of what's happening yeah. and advise people to travel in pairs. Tell people when you're leaving and when you get home, do check-ins with your friends. Um, because at this point, they have to assume that it's a hate crime. Yeah. They do. And it is. <laughs> yeah, there's no other indication. Like, if you had no immediate conflict with anybody. Yeah. 
And I mean, it's no. what, 1998. He's very actively involved in gay activism, which, you know. Yeah. And we'll get to what led this night to unfold. Yeah. Because these guys are just, they get worse and worse. Yeah. They are just scum. Candlelight vigils were burning bright all around the world for Matthew. World fell silent on October 12th at 1253 when it was announced that Matthew's heart had naturally stopped beating and he had passed away. So immediately all charges increase. We'll get there. While the medical staff has been busy looking after Matthew, police have been very busy connecting the dots because they do have so much evidence and information about this count already. Right. Of what happened that evening. So... At the scene, they found Matthew's student ID, so they know who he is. They did find his wallet missing contents, and they happened to notice that he didn't have shoes on. Light bulb. Oh my god, my next line. Light bulb goes off. (laughs) Bam. They remember the two young men who mysteriously had a blood-freckled gun, a card with Matthew's name on it, and a pair of shoes. Also, I realized that when I wrote this case, I wrote my entire case with Matthew's first name, and the defendant's last names. And I like it that way because Matthew is the human in this case. Yeah. And I'm going to let him have his name. And the other two pieces of shit deserve their last name. So don't call me on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it this way. They don't even I really like it deserve that, but we'll give it to them. Fair. When I can, I'll just say they. <laughs> God, I need like a tic-tac. My mouth is so dry. <laughs> Do I have lozenges over there? Anyway. It's not a mint. So it's a tic-tac. Police- it's a tic-tac. Maybe there will be some joking, guys. <laughs> Police approached the girlfriends and obviously asked their whereabouts there not- that night. Was there anything unusual? What was going on? Blah, blah, blah. And they kind of are, like, dodgy at first and give bits of information, but overall they're not that helpful. Um, and they essentially steer the police kind of in the wrong direction by just not giving much information. But essentially they lied to the police because they knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. Uh, especially because we come to find later on that, like, one girl says uh, their boyfriend came in the house at, like, 1 a.m. covered in blood. It's like, well, what did you think he did then? Does he often come in the house 1 a.m. covered in blood? Is that a normal occurrence? If it is, honey, you got a problem. Well, and she said that he, like, snuck in the back of the house, too. So it's like, why would he be sneaking into his own house? Clearly it's because he snuck to the house somehow yeah. in back streets or hiding out. So. Don't be naive, people. Also, don't lie. Yeah. It doesn't do any good. Don't do that either, but question your boyfriend when he comes in the back door when I'm covered in blood, too. Question him if he's covered in blood at any time of day. Yeah, just like maybe like a, hey, what's up? What'd you get on your shirt? Does it catch up? Yeah, that ketchup? Come here. It's not, but that I'm going to ask you anyway. Let me see it. It's like the classic move when you ask a guy something and you, like, already know the answer. You're just waiting for them to lie. (laughs) Do you know how many times I've used that? I'm so terrible. We all do. (sighs) And they always fail. They fail every time. It's funny, though, because if you watch, like, crime shows with them, when the police do that, they're like, buddy, tell the truth. Clearly they're asking because they already know something. And I just have to, like, what? You can give them that advice, but you can't take it your damn self. That's true. Things just go easier if you tell the truth, people. Now that these two fucks are in custody, their girlfriends are also in custody because now they're being tried as accessories because they did lie. Because they be they lying. They kept information. 
Yeah, and it actually did delay one of them getting arrested because she wasn't forthcoming with where her boyfriend was. So, yeah, you have every right to be charged. Also, you did it. Also, don't protect slimy men. Moving on. No, ladies, leave. Like, let's not put our lives in jeopardy to... These boots are made for walking girls. Just out of there. Mm-hmm. Anywho. They were initially both charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, and aggravated robbery. Once Matthew's heart stopped, charges were upgraded to attempted first-degree murder, um, and then, obviously, murder. So this immediately meant that it was now a capital punishment case, and the death penalties on the table. This is when the boys started shitting themselves, because... McKinney had even said, I thought I was going to get 10 to 15 kind of thing. He was already telling his girlfriend that, friends, whatever. So they already had these huge egos, even though they were dumb as shit. loser. And there's like three things missing from the scene, and you have those three things. Like, FYI, (laughs) you're not smarter than the law. Thanks, bye. No. Ugh. So the girlfriends, Kristen Price, who was McKinney's uh, girlfriend, and Chastity Pasley, who was uh, Henderson's... God, there's a lot of names in this case. There is. They they were both charged with accessory after the fact. Uh, One of them went on to serve uh, 15 to 24 months, and the other was given a misdemeanor for interfering with an officer. That's because she did actually end up help locating both the guys she was really cooperative and she did testify against them so or sorry she testified against mckinney i think um because yeah it was Kristen price i think that got the misdemeanor because she was really helpful sure on april 5th of 1999 henderson avoided going to trial because he pled guilty to murder and the kidnapping charges in order to avoid the death penalty Mm -hmm. he again He also agreed to testify against McKinney. And Matthew's parents were actually okay with this because they always thought that McKinney was the driving force behind this and what happened. They kind of always felt like Henderson was just like along for the ride. So although he may have participated or gone along with it, they didn't truly believe that it was his idea or why it got out of hand. Is it McKinney then that did the most of the damage? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it ends up coming out, and again, I'll get into it a bit, but, or I'll just tell you now. Sure. It's, it essentially comes out that Henderson helps restrain him onto the fence um, because McKinney has this massive gun and he's kind of telling him to, it seems like. So, although, yes, he did assist in tying him up to this fence, um, the actual attack was done with the butt of the gun and, like, physically attacking him and that's why he had like so many lacerations and deep wounds to his head specifically is because i don't if you've ever seen the photos of the fence itself because it's in most of the documentaries you could kind of see how and you could imagine if you're tied up by your arms your head kind of hangs down so that's how i believe all the lacerations on the back of the head as well as the large trauma that happened there yeah, it's just, it's horrible, and yes, Henderson did it, he was there, and again, yeah. he did plead guilty to murder and kidnapping. He's like, I did it, yeah. just please don't give me the death penalty, so. You're a willing participant. Yeah, and he was willing to testify and be helpful moving forward, so I give it to him in the sense that 
He owned his shit. So McKinney's pretrial hearing was in November of 1999, and Sergeant Rob Debris testified that McKinney had stated in an interview earlier in October that he and Henderson had identified Shepard as a robbery target originally, and they were going to pretend to be gay in the bar where they met him and lure him out to their truck, essentially, and rob him. That was the whole plan. Cool, guys. Yeah. But apparently things changed when Matthew put his hand on McKinney's knee. So he made an advance at him, apparently, and then he snapped. But we'll get there still. Cool. You were in the bar. Make You were trying to buy him a drink. You were trying to literally manipulate him for your own... <clears throat> okay, I'm going to get mad. Yep. Keep going. Yeah. And, well, like, we're both just getting heated about because we know how this is going to play out. So we can just tell. Mm -hmm. So once the trial begins, it actually does unfold. And they themselves explain the plan was to pretend to be gay, to lure him, like, truly get his guard down. And at the end of the night, they were going to offer to give him a ride home and rob him. So they go through this entire plan. I mean, why wouldn't he make an advance at you if he thinks he's going home from the bar with you guys, potentially? Right. Like doesn't seem that crazy yeah, shocking i mean anyway, just say yeah. no Ugh. and he was such a respectful human being had he just said no we don't it would have been fine we don't even know that he made an advance or put a hand on anybody's well name. i don't think he did he's not here to say that i'm not taking this asshole's word for it this is all a part of that defense no i don't think he did either it is truly so, again, it comes out, this is their whole plan, yeah. and then after this, their whole night unfolds, their idea is they're going to go back to the bar, they're, or the town area, where there's still nightlife happening, they're going to sell the gun that they just used to beat the shit out of him, and then, because they have his ID, they are then going, and I'm assuming his keys, although it wasn't mentioned, he probably had his keys on him, they were going to go raid his house after that. So those pieces of shit weren't even done. They were then going to go raid his home while he's tied to that fence, dying. Why didn't they? I don't know. They didn't get around to it because the fight broke out, and then the cops showed up, and then they got detained. Right. And then, so it's like, literally the cops just got in the way of their plan. And then by the next morning, that's when stuff started to unfold. So they panicked, obviously, were hard to find, and they weren't going to go to his house at that point. Yeah. Pretty sure that you just decided you wanted to commit a hate crime, but okay. Yeah, I think they saw someone that was of a lifestyle they didn't agree with, who was also smaller than them. I mean, and at five seven, that's tough. And so, like, the other thing is that they have to spin this story because in order to use well, yeah. the what is it's popularly known as the gay panic defense. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, in order to use that, there has yeah. to have a level of, be a level of provocation. So we'll talk about it in a minute, but that th yeah. this story has to have gone this way in order to do what I know he's going to do. So Detective Fritzen also, when on the stand, stated um, that Price, one of the girlfriends, told him McKinney had been boasting about violence against him and that it was because of, he felt a certain way and in quotes, it was towards the gays. Mm -hmm. This wasn't because of just him being smaller than or an easy target in their eyes to rob. It was they walked in and saw a well-dressed man and thought he was gay and chose him as the target. 
Yeah. I don't believe there was a robbery ever planned. Well, no, they had this huge gun on them. It's like a 15-inch gun, they said. This is a massive gun. So, like, driving down the road, and they, like, start to go away from this guy's house, and then they pull this huge gun on him. Mm -hmm. It's like, you never, you wouldn't even drive in the opposite direction of his home. You would pull over or something, or you'd lock the doors, give me your shit, get the fuck out, and you take off. You don't take this person anywhere. How do you even know he has any shit? They said that that it was planned, that they went there planning to rob somebody. It just doesn't make any sense. It's a complete, it's a complete fucking story to go with exactly what I know they're about to do. I do think, though, that people carried a lot more cash in the early 90s <laughs> or in the early 2000s. Sure, I just, even compared to now. I don't know. It's But definitely, it's a, I agree with you. It's a stupid fucking story. <laughs> yeah. Just... Well, and this is exactly where we're going to get into that defense. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about how he had those feelings towards people. Sure. It was known to police. Yeah. And then, yes, in court, McKinney's lawyers attempt to use what is known as the gay panic defense, arguing that McKinney was driven to a state of temporary insanity mm-hmm. by an alleged sexual advance by Matthew. The defense rejected by the judge and McKinney's lawyer stated that the two men had planned this. They went out to rob Shepard. They may not have intended to kill him at first. That could be true. But they definitely went out and targeted him. This was not just they ran into him. We're having a good night. He made an advance and this thing happened. Mm -hmm. No, they planned to drive him home, rob him, have him in their presence. So prosecution argued that the killing had been premeditated and it was just an act of greed and violence. And they really tried to press that it was nothing to do with the sexual orientation at times, but it really just fell flat. Right. It didn't really matter. Um, And obviously around the world during this time, activist groups are everywhere in support of this, in support of awareness. Mm -hmm. In court, Henderson also claims that he did try to stop McKinney. He said, like, let's go, let's get out of here. He did try to stop it before it got bad. Um, I guess thinking maybe even if they could take off, he would just be found later tied to the fence fine, Mm -hmm. if anything. So that I believe. I mean, I hope I do too. That I believe. Um, I, I, yeah, I do too. I don't. I think it's very rare that you, at the end of the day, find two people that rotten. I think you find two kind of bad eggs, mm-hmm. and then one turns out to be real bad. So I think, I think you find a- one person who is the ringleader, and you find a second person who is their tag along. And who's our ringleader? Mm, you. What? Well, I don't think I should be charged or like left be left in charge of that. Charged. I do not think that I should be left in charge of making our decisions. Okay. I never really am. I'm a control freak anyway, so I'll just take it even if it's not true. Yeah, like contrary to popular belief amongst people that know us probably, you're the one that comes up with most of our crazy ideas. Oh yeah, I just need a co-pilot to do the shit with mm. me. And Olivia's just dumb enough like me to do those stupid I'm things. I'm a really so willing we just accomplice. enjoy doing them together. Yeah, I'm a really willing accomplice, but like I don't, I rarely come up with the ideas. No, you just like chop your hair off and dye it a different color and want to shave your head all the time. That's where you're the yes. loose cannon. Correct. I agree though, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Another interesting thing about this Henderson guy, his trial and what was difficult about it at first was that they were like having a horrible time finding a jury because his grandparents were pretty affluent in the area and nobody wanted to be the jury 
of that guy's grandson. Everybody was like, no, sorry, we cannot be impartial. <laughs> yeah. They were like, Fair, um, this guy is like too big in the community. We don't want to put that guy's kid to jail. Yeah. It was like everyone knew he was guilty, so they didn't want to be on the jury. <laughs> oh my God, this case. Yeah. What a political. Yeah. So the jury ended up finding McKinney not guilty of premeditated murder, but guilty of felony murder and began to deliberate on the death penalty. Good. Prior, yeah, prior to the sentencing hearing, while they were deliberating, though, Shepard's parents accepted a deal which McKinney received two consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Henderson and McKinney are both incarcerated essentially the entire life to live out their natural life in prison. Yeah. They just both avoided the death penalty, which, to be honest, at that age, fine. Maybe they can make a difference in prison. Maybe there's still a chance they can do some good. They are going to live out their days at the Wyoming State Penitentiary in Rollins. Well, they plan to, but they are moved to a facility later because of overcrowding. Henderson and McKinney are now just hanging out, living out their days. I kind of wish they weren't at the same prison. I just don't think accomplices should get to hang out. I don't think so either. I don't know. Maybe that's being nitpicky, but I'm just like, you shouldn't get to hang out. I don't think so. No, I agree. It's like, why do you get to, like, hang out with your buddy now? I'm also doing a lot of research myself for future episode just on, like, the history of incarceration and, you know, prisoner rights and treatment and stuff. And so I'm kind of falling in the middle more being reminded more of the benefits of treating prisoners like human beings that's all i was really trying to say i guess like letting them hang out and be cushy isn't doesn't really fall into that category but it's just a reminder that like putting these people in cages and treating them like animals isn't conducive either because there's community members who work in these facilities um years following this his mom became a huge advocate for the LGBT rights, particularly in um, the youth community. She just felt they needed more focus. And she is the driving force behind the Matthew Shepard Foundation. I actually want to find this and watch it. His friend created a documentary about his story. And it's called Matt Shepard is a Friend of Mine. I couldn't find it in time for this because I think it's going to be kind of difficult to find. Okay. Um, but I really would like to find it because the statement on the front, it was like a tenderhearted, kind person. And it was truly a documentary made by someone close to him. Huh. And I just like really, really would love to watch it. Yeah. And again, this case was just massively important in getting the ball rolling in just a lot of new hate crime legislation conversations even being started. And his dad to this day claims that he believes that his son is a hero purely for what his case started in the United States and what conversations became addressed and the momentum that it gained. Um, as well as different organizations that were then given the opportunity just to speak about what they stood for and what support they needed in their communities. Yeah. In this case, uh, the question for me is, can a victim provoke their own death? Like, in terms of provocation, is that, can, can somebody provoke their own death? Like, so in Canada, for example... Provocation is not a complete defense, so it can only be used to reduce charges of culpable homicide to manslaughter. Um, it can't be used to say, like, 
uh, not criminally responsible. It can only reduce your charge to manslaughter. But the argument is that the defendant was provoked into this violence or the discovery of the victim's sexual orientation or this advance that they made on them provoked them um, into like temporarily losing control. state of... And can somebody provoke their own death? And then the other thing is like, this defense is, it's rooted in such like archaic... 20th century homophobic and transphobic views and ideologies I just feel have no place in 21st century courtrooms. Um, Like 12 states in the U.S. now have uh, thrown this defense out. California was the first state to ban the gay and transpanic defense in September of 2014. 11 other states have followed suit. In Canada, this is still legal. There's no conversations being had that I know of about changing the criminal code to prevent it. Is it used often? No. But the fact that somebody could still walk into a courtroom, I don't know. There's there's obviously arguments to both sides. I just think it's... I mean, this, this defense has been... These laws date back to, like, the early 1900s. These are a lot of qualities that are ra- you're raised in. These are things that you hear and see. Mm-hmm. Kids are like sponges. Yeah. So I don't think that people are just naturally born racist. I totally. think we are all born with, you know, no color. Mm-hmm. We're just people. And it's unfortunate that over time we have these stigmas and pretenses and ingrained preconnotations of people yeah. that get ingrained in us by what we hear and see from just the world around us at a young age when we don't even think these things are happening and then yeah well we don't know any better or that's what we just think is right because that's what we're told and i'm i mean i'm starting to look at a lot of things differently because i'm realizing that the way isn't always the way you kind of need to look outside of your little box but yeah um like for context The gay panic defense between 1970 and 2020 uh, was used at least 104 times across 35 U.S. states. So it doesn't... That's too many times. I was going to say, it it maybe doesn't sound like that many times, but over 50 years, but it's too many. Yeah, no, that's bullshit. It's victim blaming at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. 100%. I don't think that we exploit other titles on people the same way um, to come up with a defense necessarily. Like, if the exact same scenario happens with a heterosexual couple, we just call it murder. Yeah. Murder is murder. Do you know what I mean? doesn't matter who I date. Yeah. For what Um, my death should be called when it's at the hands of another person. Yeah, and so this defense is off often also used against trans people um yeah so for me this month i'm not going to say which ones they are but i will be choosing one case where the victim was trans as well Uh, i want to highlight as many groups as we can but that was really yeah all i had to say mckinney once he was in prison 
he went around like using the term gay basher constantly and even after he took the plea and like apologized to his parents and was like i'll be so sorry i'll think of matthew every day in prison blah 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 trying to be so remorseful he goes into prison and he's watching his court case on the tv laughing about like bragging about being a gay basher like it's cool yeah and he was signing things for other inmates and he kept signing his name killer no just killer no that's not it. how original you're not the first one of those in there the one last thing i was gonna say and again we'll get more and more into and i think we'll loop back to this a lot about different legislations that we address throughout this as well but like we said there's many things um within the legislature that changed after this case and or started to change so If anyone would like to look into that, there are so many. I'm not going to go through them because that would add another 20 minutes to this episode. Mm -hmm. But in June of 2019, Matthew was one of the inaugural 50 American pioneers, trailblazers, and heroes that was inducted into the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor with the Stonewall National Monument in New York. Oh. So, and that was at the Stonewall Inn. That's great. Yeah, and honestly, that may be one of the other cases that we do this month because, I mean, that's where it all started. So, go back to square one. Well, hopefully everybody liked this case. I think, I mean, personally, I think I was a little bit more passionate than I usually am about topics. But honestly, both of these topics are ones that I, I think everybody feels passionately about um or they should and this podcast has definitely uh thrown me into a lot of things that I used to have a lot of passion for um and spend a lot of time on that maybe I got out of for a while and I'm I'm re diving into that makes no sense but it's fueling your fire a little it bit. is a little bit it's reminding me things that I was once very fiery about that maybe I forgot about and they deserve to be talked about. So here we are. Yeah. But here we are. you can follow us on Instagram at Podcast by Proxy, Facebook, Twitter. We love a good case suggestion there. We do. Check out our link tree for any other exciting things. Yeah. You can support. Store. I was going to say you can support the show. We do have a buy me a coffee. So you can do like a one time donation or you can be a monthly. I think Katie called it Forensic Fisherman. Um, But it really just supports us and helps us keep the show going. So that's really the place you can support uh, our show right now. Follow on whatever listening platform you're on. Throw us a review on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. And I just want to say that being homophobic is not a personality. No. It's not 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 cool. cool. It's none of the above. Love everybody the same. Stopping a dick, and that's it. I have nothing else to say about it. Yeah, it's just so just, infuriating. It's like just treat everybody the same. Yeah, there's no reason. I don't give a shit who you sleep with, what color your skin is. I'm gonna treat. I'm like you if the you same. don't like somebody, just don't associate with them. It's not that hard. Yeah, I do it all the time. Same. It's really We're very good yeah, at it's it. It's really not that hard. If anyone needs help? Reach out on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> really good at keeping a six foot distance with most humans. Yeah, I think I'm going to keep that after COVID even. Yeah. 
I don't care what no health authority says. Please keep six feet indefinitely. <laughs> Oy vey. Okay. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me.